Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson, and today I want to talk to you about discipleship and why discipleship matters. Uh, It may seem odd to many Christian leadership ears to say that discipleship matters, if only because if you ask most Christian leaders what the whole point of Christian ministry is, nine out of ten will tell you to make disciples. And yet, I don't think the discipleship deficit we undoubtedly see in our churches is the result of people not taking discipleship seriously, but a result of people not understanding what discipleship actually is. We're doing something, in other words. It just might not be discipleship. Of course, we're drawing our central thesis, our central concept of discipleship from the Great Commission. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Jesus says, "'Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want to tease out on this episode a bit of some of the discipleship deficit as I see it and apply these words of Christ in the Great Commission to the current evangelical landscape. Here are my uh, main three points. See if you can track uh, with me uh, through them. Uh, The first one is this. Discipleship matters because fidelity to Christ matters. Secondly, discipleship matters because the integrity of the church matters. And third, discipleship matters because the expansion of God's glory matters. So let's go step by step. Number one, discipleship matters because fidelity to Christ matters. I want to point out what I think is very often missed in the way people understand the Great Commission. Notice that Jesus didn't simply say to make converts. He said to make disciples. If our evangelism has only initial decisions of inviting Jesus into our heart or accepting Christ as our Savior as its aim, we're missing the weight of what it means to become a Christian. We're missing the eternality of conversion. Jesus said to make disciples. If we're only aiming at getting people to pray the sinner's prayer, we're only partially obeying Jesus. And partially obeying Jesus is disobeying Jesus. We've all seen, I'm sure, the pastors touting their weekly catch on social media. Many people do hear the gospel and respond genuinely in this way, and yet we must take care that the discipleship process in any of these count-the-hands churches doesn't stop at the counting of the hands. Something isn't adding up, I don't think. Charles Spurgeon even commented on this Sunday scoreboard practice, routine even in his day. In his uh, little essay, What Is It to Win a Soul?, he writes, Some of the most glaring sinners known to me were once members of a church and were, as I believe, led to make a profession by undue pressure, well-meant but ill-judged. Do not, therefore, consider that soul-winning is or can be secured by the multiplication of baptisms and the swelling of the size of your church. What mean these dispatches from the battlefield? Last night, 14 souls were under conviction, 15 were justified, and 8 received full sanctification. I am weary of this public bragging, this counting of unhatched chickens, this exhibition of doubtful spoils. Lay aside such numberings of the people, such idle pretense of certifying in half a minute that which will need the testing of a lifetime. Hope for the best, but in your highest excitements, be reasonable. Inquiry rooms are all very well, but if they lead to idle boastings, they will grieve the Holy Spirit and work abounding evil. No, what we can say is this. People coming to know Christ is always a good thing, no matter what kind of church they're in, no matter the method by which they've heard the gospel. But this does not itself sanctify methods. 
And a simple counting of decisions does not itself prove genuine fruitfulness because a genuine decision is itself only the first tiny bud of a life of fruit. A better investigation might be how many of those numbers are being discipled. Any discipleship that ends at the altar is not the discipleship Jesus calls us into. He did not say, if anyone would follow me, he must pray this prayer. He said, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Church, let's be faithful in evangelism and make sure our dwindling baptism numbers are not because of our neglect of the call to proclaim the gospel to those who are lost, to those who are dying, to those who are going to hell. But let's also remember that Christ has called us not simply to make converts, but to make disciples. Discipleship matters because fidelity to Christ matters. Secondly, discipleship matters because the integrity of the church matters. Every time Barna or Gallup or Lifeway release their latest findings on theological beliefs among confessing evangelicals, we see further slippage and affirmation of the basic tenets of Christian orthodoxy, the exclusivity of Christ for salvation, the existence of hell, etc. Not only is our nation becoming less Christian, but it would seem, in fact, that the evangelical church is becoming less Christian. We've got moral relativism in our personal spirituality. We have therapeutic religion in our theology. We have consumeristic pragmatism in our ministry. A well-known female Christian author affirms same-sex marriage, and thousands of Christian women see no problem with it. Ministers embrace worldliness, disqualify themselves from the pastorate, at least according to biblical principles, and congregations hold them in higher esteem than the very word of God. The discipleship problem has huge implications for the integrity of the church's theology and the authenticity of its witness. We've seen already what has happened historically to the mainline denominations as they drift from God's word and tailor their affirmations to the prevailing winds of the world. Let's not be so naive and foolish to think it could never happen to us. It has happened to us. Paul says to his young disciple, keep a close watch on your life and doctrine. And elsewhere, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is what Jesus says, teach them to observe everything I have commanded you, everything I have commanded you. Acts chapter 2, which is often held up as a picture of the fellowship and the joyful community of the early Christians, which it is, also shows us, and we should note, that essential to their joy and their growth was that they, quote, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I remember I was speaking once at a, uh, a well-known Bible college, and um, in my message I had affirmed the penal substitution view of the atonement, uh, that Christ on the cross uh, absorbs the wrath of God, the punishment for sin that we are owed. Christ absorbs that. And a young man came up to me after my talk and uh, began to challenge me, essentially wanted to debate penal substitution. Um, he said you know, some things like, I have a hard time believing in a vengeful God. Uh, he referred to it as divine child abuse, penal substitution. And so I began to take him through the scripture passages. And, you know, he wasn't unfamiliar with all of them. He just was simply, uh, you know, unmoved. He was unconvinced uh, by the Old Testament through the New Testament testimony to the cross of Christ being the place where the wrath of God is poured out on Jesus. So eventually I decided to get personal, and as we kind of went back and forth a little bit, um, I simply asked him, are you a sinner? And he paused for a second, and finally and re reluctantly he said, yes. 
You know, you can't say he's not a sinner, right? That would be sort of arrogant, I suppose. So I quickly responded to him, how is it that you are forgiven? How are your sins forgiven? And he didn't have an answer for that. He sort of looked up into the sky, uh, you know, thinking as if the as if the answer would you know, sort of drop down out, out of heaven. But he couldn't answer that question. And so there was just this uncomfortable silence. And I said to him, until you can answer that question, you really cannot have this debate about substitution. If, if you're not able to give uh, an answer for the hope that is within you, your view, whatever it is, um, isn't a view that actually wins hearts to Jesus Christ. This Bible college student could not give me a reason for uh, his view. He couldn't give me a, a, a personal hope that he himself had. Why? Well, he'd heard the old gospel story, but he found it at some point irrelevant to his personal life and irrelevant to his relational connection with Christ probably because somebody had given him some books that questioned penal substitution and, quote-unquote, discipled him poorly. The trajectory of his training led him to a place of theoretical Christianity, but not experiential Christianity. More accurately, he was not discipled in the biblical sense at all. And the reason large swaths of evangelicals today have no problem setting biblical teaching aside to affirm the idolatries of our culture, setting orthodoxy aside to flirt with repackaged modern heresies, is because they've perhaps been led in a prayer, but they haven't been led to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Jesus. They haven't been discipled. Discipleship matters because the integrity of the church matters. Let's pause and take a coffee break here, and then we'll return. Midwestern Seminary's Doctor of Ministry degree program is your next step in training for local ministry. The Doctor of Ministry program at Midwestern Seminary is designed to equip and train leaders with a commitment to the local church. With multiple emphases available, including counseling, church revitalization, expository preaching, leadership, and missions, among others, your program provides the equipping you need in practical theology for direct church work and ministry leadership. And because all of our doctoral programs are modular, you don't have to leave your current ministry to pursue your degree. For more information, visit mbts.edu today. That's mbts.edu. Midwestern Seminary's 81-hour Master of Divinity degree prepares you for ministry today and tomorrow. Midwestern Seminary's flagship degree program is our primary track for ministry preparation. Requiring only 81 credit hours, the MDiv program is an efficient option for students equipping them to serve the church in pastoral ministry. Residential students will be trained in a unique community environment passionately focused on the local church. Online students can earn the full degree without leaving their current ministry context. Come be a part of one of the fastest growing seminaries in North America as we develop a new culture of discipleship devoted to the local church and committed to taking God's unchanging word into a rapidly changing world. Visit mbts.edu slash mdiv today. Okay, we're back. Here's the third point about discipleship. Discipleship matters because the expansion of God's glory matters. Jesus says, go into all the world. He says, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. God's vision for the world is not primarily the bigness of the church, but the bigness of his own manifest presence in every nook and cranny of the world. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, we see God's vision, his, his end game, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. Could it be that one reason we see dwindling baptism numbers is because we've effectively turned go and tell into come and see? 
and turn the long view of missional expansion into the instant gratification of microwave spiritual experience. Let's consider the theory that one reason we aren't reaching as many people with the gospel is because we've relocated the primary evangelistic event to the Sunday morning service, basically saying evangelism is the job of a few experts on Sunday morning. And while this approach can have some effect in winning lost people to Christ, we inadvertently de-incentivize and disempower our people from being on gospel mission in their everyday lives. Just bring them to church, we'd suggest. We'll handle it. But the vast majority of lost folks will not darken the door of our church building. We leave the vast number of lost people unreached because we've trained our churches to behave as if the church service is the primary focal point of evangelism, which not only misunderstands the biblical teaching on the point of the worship gathering, it also hamstrings our missional reach. Maybe we'd baptize more on Sunday if we better discipled our people to share the gospel Monday through Saturday. Maybe our failure to disciple the converts we make is why we're making fewer converts. But all is not lost. Christ will have his glory. He might even be using, and I believe this is true, those wretched millennials to do it. The ones that I meet all over the country have their heads on straight. And they aren't simply interested in posting big numbers, but in making disciples. I say, may their tribe increase so that God's glory will be magnified. So there you have it. Why discipleship matters? Discipleship matters because fidelity to Christ matters. Discipleship matters because the integrity of the church matters. And discipleship matters because the expansion of God's glory matters. Thank you for listening to this episode of the For the Church podcast. Please visit Midwestern Seminary online at mbts.edu and for the church online at ftc.co. That's ftc.co. Until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, managing editor of For the Church, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri where we train leaders for the church.